This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Myers. We are done with our study of the creation week, the first creation account in the book of Genesis. We'll be picking up here in a couple episodes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, with the second creation account, so you'll want to make sure you stick around for that. Today, we are doing what I've been promising we would do for a very long time and do a Q&A session. Would have been fun to do this live. Maybe sometime in the future, I'll figure out how to do that, but for now... What I'm going to do is respond to questions that people sent in to me by email, uh, Facebook messages, or maybe even comments on the blog. Uh, And um, so I'll read the question that people sent in and then respond to it. Imagine some of the questions that I read will be questions you yourself had. So stick around and you can listen to uh, how I respond. And uh, then you can ask your own questions later. And I'll try and do this from time to time as we work through this podcast. Get your input and feedback that way as well. Hey, this episode of the One Verse Podcast is brought to you by me. Um, I want to keep in contact with you and and uh, keep in touch with you and give you updates about books I'm publishing or places I'm going or ways I might be able to meet with you or hang out with you. I would love to meet and talk with you, each and every one of you who listen to this sometime down the road. So uh, to sort of keep updates on that, you can go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe and that will uh, you know, put your email in there. That will subscribe you to my free email newsletter. Um, there's a couple of different ways to uh, subscribe. You can get a weekly update or a weekly summary update. Or you can get all my blog posts by email. Uh, and also I send out a regular newsletter uh, once every two months or basically whenever I feel like it. Uh, this coming year I'm trying to publish... I don't know. Let's see my count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books. I I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. But most of them are written, and I just need to edit them, typeset them, get some covers on them, and some of you might be able to help me with that. Anyway, uh, subscribe at redeeminggod.com slash subscribe, and you will get notifications and maybe some free items along the way uh, for, as I publish those books and put out podcasts and start a few other exciting things I'm trying to do in 2016. So, join me there, redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Okay, so, Q&As, questions, answers, questions at least, we'll see how I do on the answers. First, uh, sort of a few housekeeping type questions. I got this question the other day from Faith and a few others. And basically, they pointed out to me that the most recent episode, episode number 23, which is uh, part two of my study of the seventh day in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, part two, episode 23, the audio for that was exactly the same as the audio for part one, which was episode 22. And they want to know what happened. Well, I made a mistake and I accidentally put up the audio file for part one, episode 22, in both files. So if you subscribe by iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher or some of those others, and you downloaded the audio file for episode 23 and discovered it was exactly the same audio file for episode 22, 
the, the correct audio file is now up there. So you can just go back and if you delete that uh, wrong audio file for episode 23 and then re-download it again, you'll get the correct one. Uh, I, I subscribed to myself on iTunes just to make sure everything's working and it happened to me. I, I downloaded the wrong file. So the way I did it in iTunes was I, I went to, into my podcasts in iTunes. I, I right-clicked. I found episode number 23, and then I right-clicked with my mouse on that, and then I selected the option which said delete download. That deleted the file, and then there's that little sort of download from the cloud icon. At least that's what I think it is. It looks like a little cloud with an arrow on it pointing down next to the audio file, and that appeared after I deleted the the wrong audio file, and then I could download. I I clicked on that little cloud icon thing and downloaded the correct file. So if that's uh, your situation, if you got the correct audio file for episode 23, just just ignore this. But if if that's your situation, you got a duplicate there for episode 22, 23, then uh, you can fix it that way. The correct one is now up. And I know that's important because I sort of left you hanging after episode 22, and uh, so you probably are anxious to listen to episode 23 and find out how I finished that uh, study of the seventh day, the Sabbath rest of God, and how we can participate with God in that. That was an easy question, huh? All right, uh, here's another question from Matthew, and actually a bunch of people sent in this question as well, but I think Matthew was the first one who sent it to me, and he says this, where are the transcripts? I keep waiting for them, but they don't appear. If you've noticed, you go to my show notes for each and every episode. In fact, there's lots of show notes for this episode, episode 24. And on those, near the bottom, it says transcript. And then right beneath that, it says coming soon. And so far, you go back even to episode number one or episode number two, where we looked at Genesis 1-1. There is not a single transcript on there yet. So here we are, 24 episodes in, and I don't have a single transcript up. Uh, There's reasons for that, but the main reason is that I decided to turn the transcripts for these podcasts for uh, on Genesis into a book. I mentioned earlier I've got eight books in the works. Well, one of them is this book on Genesis 1, the first uh, creation account in the book of Genesis. So uh, the transcripts are coming but I'm going to make them available in the form of a book first. And the reason for that, well, there's a bunch of reasons, but one of the main reasons is so that you can have all of the studies easily in one place. And, uh, you know, the, the, the context sort of helps. Uh, you'll see that a lot of the questions I get, which we talk about today, are because people listen to a single episode or something and they had a bunch of questions. And a lot of the questions are answered in other episodes. And I think to try to navigate around like that on my blog would be sort of difficult. So what I'm going to do is put them all together in one one document and turn it into a book. That way you can get the book and read them all for yourself right there. And if you like paperback, there's there's enough there. You can even buy the paperback and get it that way to read and research or even do a study on, on your own elsewhere. And again, to get notifications about that book and when it's ready, I'm hoping to have it available in the next couple months. You can get uh, updates and notifications on the progress for that by subscribing to my free email newsletter. Go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. All right, that's that question. That's where the transcripts are. I'll see down the road if I actually put them online or not. I'm not sure if I will, but uh, we'll see. That's, That's in process. Another question, this one from... I'm sorry if I say your name wrong. Ansois, I'm gonna guess. Ansois. Anyway, uh, she writes this. 
Any way that you can do more podcasts in a week? <laughs> well, listen, I would love, absolutely love to be able to do more than one a week. In fact, if you listened to my very first introductory podcast to this show, uh, episode number one, or maybe it was episode number zero, I can't remember now, uh, the original plan was to do three to five episodes per week. Of course, I was going to try to do five to ten minute episodes. Anyway, I haven't even come close to that yet. And so my current episodes, each one is taking me a lot of time to prepare. On average, each episode, start to finish, takes about 10 hours uh, to study it, research it, uh, prepare my notes, record the podcast, edit the podcast, publish the podcast, and all those things, okay? 10 hours each. So I suppose if down the road, if I get quicker, maybe I could produce more than one per week. But right now, it's just impossible. Not with my full-time job on the side. Actually, this is my side job or something. I have a full-time job, which isn't blogging or podcasting or writing. And then, of course, I'm married and I've got three kids, so they are a top priority of mine as well. So this podcasting, blogging, authoring, you know, book writing, all of that... That's a hobby of mine I do on the side, and I just can't, I don't have time to do more than one episode per week. So that's the answer for that. All right, now some some uh, questions really about the content of Genesis 1 and some of the studies that uh, I've taught. This question comes from Stephen. Uh, he writes, I have been researching the whole evolution versus creation debate and ran across your One Verse podcast. I have to say that even after months of researching both sides of the issue, it has been really refreshing hearing your thoughts on the whole topic. Uh, thanks, Stephen, for saying that. Uh, he, he says this, It really seems to cut through the back-bending interpretations that I find so often uh, in both the young earth, earth creationists and the atheistic uh, people. After all my studies, I find myself agreeing with you wholeheartedly in that we shouldn't be interpreting Genesis as a scientific treatise on how God created everything. It was a polemic against other creation stories of the time. That's right, and that's what I tried to emphasize over and over and over. But here's his question. I was wondering if you had a sense for what the general consensus of biblical scholars is on the topic. It seems like scholars are split on literal versus non-literal, but I'm a CPA by trade and am not in the field, so to speak. And I wondered what your thoughts on or thoughts were on the consensus. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, thoughts on where where the consensus rested. Oh, that's it. Um, am I? Are we going against the mainstream biblical scholarly opinion in holding to the polemic interpretation of Genesis? I'm not sure it matters, but it's helpful for discussing with others. All right, Stephen, that's a great question. Uh, and, and by the way, we'll get into this a little bit later. I actually think my interpretation of Genesis 1 is the literal. So uh, the literal versus non-literal, well, that's uh, I think my interpretation is the literal, and the other one is non-literal. But we'll, we'll talk about that with a different question that someone else asked later. Anyway, as far as where the scholarly consensus is, it sort of depends on how you define scholarly, I suppose. Uh, there's the fundamentalist, quote-unquote, evangelical, uh, you know, right-wing, or I don't know what you want to call it, uh, branch of Christianity, where they're really big into talking about 
uh, inspiration of Scripture and inerrancy of Scripture and all those sorts of things, and just the plain interpretation of Scripture, and you hear those sorts of terms. And usually those scholars are going to fall on the literal seven-day, 24-hour period um, creationism. Uh, but then there's a whole branch of scholarship, which is more on what, what some people would label as, I suppose, liberal, and they are going to go more with the polemical. The thing is, is the two camps are starting to blend, let's put it that way. Uh, I went to super conservative Bible colleges and seminaries, and what I am teaching in these podcasts, I learned there. One of my favorite professors at Dallas Theological Seminary was Gordon Johnston, and pretty much everything I'm saying in these podcasts, I learned from him. Um, And so uh, you can't really get too much more conservative than Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, Same thing, I went to Moody Bible Institute. Again, super conservative. When I was there, we couldn't go to movies. Uh, Girls, in fact, uh, halfway through my time there was the first time they allowed girls to wear pants. Okay, so, um, and and obviously no drinking or anything like that was ever allowed. Uh, We couldn't wear shorts, okay, all these sorts of things. Super conservative, even when it comes to theology and doctrine, but these are the things that they were teaching there. So the lines are starting to blur, and I think that even some of the more, what, what, what would usually be considered fundamentalists or even conservative Christians are starting to see that the historical, cultural context of Genesis 1 clearly teaches a polemical emphasis in Genesis. Uh, Now, this is not to say that the earth was not created in seven literal days, but uh, if that is what Genesis 1 is saying, then that is sort of a secondary application, a secondary truth to the real truth in Genesis 1, that this is a theological and poetic polemic against some of the religions in Moses' day. As for some scholars and articles and things that you can read, there are, in every single episode of the One Verse podcast, I include notes for where my research came from, uh, books, articles, uh, other blog posts from elsewhere on the internet, maybe even something else I had written, Um, and there's links to where you can buy these books on Amazon or Christian book distributors and where you can read some of these articles. So even in this episode, I put the six... Uh, best articles and books for this interpretation of Genesis uh, 1. And so you can you can get some of those books, read some of those articles for yourself. That uh, professor of mine from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, Gordon Johnston, I linked to one of his articles in, uh, in the show notes today. It's this article on Genesis 1. And another professor of mine from Moody Bible Institute, Uh, Walton, John Walton, he wrote an excellent book called The Lost World of Genesis 1, and I link to that in today's show notes as well. And there's a couple other books and articles there for you you to read. So anyway, uh, bottom line is, I think the general consensus today is moving toward this polemical, poetical interpretation of Genesis 1. Okay, so here's another question. This one is from Ken, and he writes this. Jeremy, you are way out in left field, and I believe you are indeed dabbling in heresy. But not only that, you are trying to draw others after you, as was prophesied, some will do in the latter days with deceitful doctrine. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, United Church of Christ, as well as a whole slew of other cults have gone the way of modern revelation, and this is the way which is broad and becoming broader. 
I won't bother quoting scripture because it seems you, like many others have, chosen to cherry-pick verses and interpretations that fit into a theory or multiple theological theories and interpretations, so they will obviously simply fall on deaf ears. You, for one, should know that the revelation from God is complete and that the apostles testified to the truth and that anything other than that is heresy and will only lead to God giving you over to yourself, which is what I think is already happening or has happened. I will be unsubscribing and will stay with the truth already received. Thanks for your understanding, Ken. Well, uh, Ken, um, uh, sorry you feel uh, feel that way. Uh, you're not alone. Other people have sent me similar messages and Facebook messages and emails and things like that. Um, but also understand that it, uh, if this is how you feel, uh, look, you don't need to listen to my podcast any longer. I, I, if that's how you feel, please do yourself a favor. Uh, don't listen. Don't listen. If it's a threat or danger, you feel if you really feel I'm teaching heresy, just unsubscribe like you did. If you're listening to this right now and that's how you feel, look, you don't need the aggravation of listening to my podcast every week that might be challenging to you and your beliefs. So feel free to un- unsubscribe. Um, as I've said before, now here's the thing. You need to ask yourself why you're feeling challenged by what I'm saying and what I'm teaching. Um, uh, one of the primary goals, in fact, sort of the way I start this podcast, and it's a primary goal on my blog as well, is to help liberate people from the shackles of religion. And I sometimes, I often think that scripture is used by religious people to strengthen the chains and bondage of religion on people. Okay, so my primary goal in teaching scripture the way I do is not just to teach scripture. Okay, I don't want to be just a Bible teacher. The goal of teaching and writing what I do is to help liberate people from the bondage, from the chains of religion. So that means that if you are pretty set in your religious ways, then some of what I teach, a lot of what I teach and write, will be challenging to you. All right, so that might be what you're thinking there. But but Ken, let me just respond. I know you're not listening to this anymore, but maybe somebody else is. Let me just say one thing. I think that what's going on here is that you are confusing the your interpretation, your understanding of Scripture with Scripture itself. I'm convinced that the most dangerous Christian out there is not the one who is willing to challenge commonly held views the way, way you sort of say I'm doing, but is actually the one who believes that his or her views are exactly in line with Scripture. Um, Far too many Christians today, really, they just can't differentiate uh, what their views are. Look, they think that what they think about the Bible is what the Bible actually says. Let's put it that way. Many Christians think that their understanding of a particular passage is the same as what that passage actually says, and hopefully it is. Now, I, I agree, that is the goal. But unless or until you're willing to admit that some of what you believe might be wrong, you're not really going to be ready to study the passage in its cultural context and consider other views on on what that passage says. Anyway, it's very dangerous. Um, The goal is to recognize that we might be wrong in various understandings of Scripture, and the goal is to study that Scripture in its cultural, historical, grammatical contexts 
and hopefully come to a new understanding or a more correct understanding of what that Bible, uh, what that uh, text in the Bible actually says. So just remember, your understanding of the Bible is not the Bible. Uh, it's just your understanding of the Bible, and that's that. So the goal is to hopefully bring our understanding of the Bible into line with the Bible. And again, I'm not certain I am 100%. I'm not certain I'm correct on my understanding of Genesis 1. But all I'm doing is presenting my view, my understanding from my study on what Genesis 1 says, presenting it to you, and you can do some of the research for your own. That's why I give you some of the books and articles so you can you can check my work. You can do the re- reading and research on your own. I wrote a uh, sort of a blog post about this a while back called Nobody Believes the Bible, Not Even You, and I will link to that in the show notes, today's show notes as well, so you can go read that and sort of see more what I'm talking about. Okay, then I got, um, let's moving on, I got this question. Looking at my time, I think today might be a little bit longer, but hopefully you're enjoying these questions and they might be some of yours, um, your questions as well. Okay, so this next question comes from Kathy, and she writes this. I have a question about Genesis. I'm only to verse 4 in the podcast, so you may clarify at some later podcast. Are you saying that the creation story began with Moses playing off the stories of the surrounding nations, rather than the creation story having been handed down in poetry form from father, mother, to son, daughter, beginning with the generation of Adam and Eve? Uh, That's a good question, Kathy. In fact, you're not the only one who asked that. Other people asked various forms of that question. So basically the question is, was the story that Moses wrote some sort of special revelation given to Moses himself? Or was this maybe a historical record, a story? Back then they had an oral tradition that maybe got passed down, beginning possibly with Adam. And then getting passed down, you know, Adam and Eve to their son, Seth, and so on. Down through Moses, and then to, I'm sorry, down through Noah, and then to uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the Israelites, and ultimately to Moses, who then wrote it down. Well, the truth is, I don't actually know. I I don't have an an actual answer to that question. Uh, It's a great question, and um, I'm not opposed. I'm not at all opposed to an oral tradition. Of course, uh, Adam himself wasn't at the creation. He, he was created on the sixth day, so he himself is not an eyewitness to the events described uh, in Genesis, well, in the first five days anyway. So even he would have had to have uh, this revelation from God, you know, uh, walk in the garden maybe, and God said, here's how it worked. Here's, here's what you missed. Here's what happened before you came along. So um, that's fine. Either way, though, it's it's a revelation from God, whether God gave it to Adam or God gave it to Moses. Um, now, if, okay, if God did give it to Adam and then it got passed down, I don't think all the polemical ideas would have been in there because at the very beginning, we didn't have all the references to the, the clear references to the, I mean, the Canaanites didn't even exist, and neither did the Egyptians or the Babylonians, and especially, definitely, their religions did not exist. So all of that would have been added in later. So I sort of think that whatever the creation account was, if God gave something like that to Adam originally, it's not the same thing as what we have in Genesis 1. Clearly, there are, are polemical references 
in Genesis 1, the way it's written in our Bibles now, that clearly refute some of the ideas and practices that were common in Egypt, Babylon, and Canaan. Uh, those would not have existed in the original account which God gave to Adam. So uh, maybe the original account about how God created the earth in seven days, some sort of version of that did exist, was given to Adam very early on, uh, right after creation account. And then maybe what we could say happened is through the spreading of humans and sin and so on, that account got sort of twisted and perverted, and so it became part of the religious practices of these other religious groups. And so Moses is writing a polemic against those beliefs and practices and also returning people to the original view. Uh, I'm not opposed to that idea at all. That some sort of original historical account was given to Adam, it got perverted and twisted, and now Moses is refuting those perversions and twistings and returning people back to an original view. But even still, what he writes is not, it could not scientifically or exactly be historical true truth because obviously it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. Don't hear me wrong when I say that. But scientifically and historically, it can't be because, um, well, for example, waters above and the waters below. Um, that, that we read in Genesis 1, and this firmament in the heavens and all that, okay? The words, we, we talked about this so much in the podcast, I don't really want to re repeat it all. But scientifically and historically, logically, we know that it, it's, it's not the way it is. There isn't a hard shell up there, okay? There's not an ocean above the hard shell, all right? So um, anyway, it, ju it just doesn't work. It's clearly polemical and uh, uh, poetic. It's theological against the religious beliefs and practices of the day. Moses might be re re reverting, referring, pointing us back to the way it originally happened, or he might just be writing a theological poem, poetry, against some of the religious beliefs and practices. hope that helps a little bit. Yes, it could have originated with Adam, but not in its current form. Okay. Let's see. Another question. This one came from Michael. Um... And Matthew, boy, again, lots of people sent in various versions of this question. And uh, this question, it's very long. I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing. We're running out of time. It's basically focused on the day, so the word day or yom in, in Genesis 1. Lots of people really focused in on this. Lots of people pointed me to Answers in Genesis and some of the books and articles by Ken Ham and other people who work over there at Answers in Genesis. It's sort of like, have you ever heard of Answers in Genesis? You know, you really should go read this book before you start teaching this stuff. Look, I'm aware. Uh, I've been to conferences with Ken Ham. I've worked with Answers, not worked for them, but worked with them in various ways in the past, when I was a pastor, when I was working at a place in, in Texas. I, um, I've read a lot of their books, a lot of their articles, a lot of their, I mean, yes, I've been aware of them for, I don't know, at least 20 years. Um, so uh, Ken Ham, I remember, I remember watching Ken Ham videos, all of them, you know, do dozens of them, at least. I don't know how many he has when I was younger. Anyway, I'm very aware of answers in Genesis and what they say about, uh, Genesis one. Now, uh, um, Let's see. Michael goes on and he, he basically says that Ken Ham teaches that if you don't believe that the word yom or day in Genesis 1 is a literal 24-hour day, then what that does is uh, threatens the gospel. 
And the reason you might say, well, how, how do they make the connection? And here's how they point out that if the word day is not a literal 24 hour day, then, you know, if it's some thousands of years or millions of years, then what you have to say is that death existed before sin. And we all know that's not true because Paul says that death came because of sin uh, in, in Romans. So therefore, the gospel cannot be true because death obviously did not come from sin. And sin is the big problem with the gospel that Jesus came to deliver us from and forgive us from and give us new life and all that. So, so uh, if, if the word yom is not a literal 24-hour day, therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ is threatened. Okay, well, um, boy, there's so many ways to argue this. First, I really don't think that reading the word yom as a literal 24-hour day is the best. And in fact, there's various places elsewhere in Scripture that use the word yom, uh, even with numbers to refer to to days longer than 24-hour periods. Uh, even here in Genesis 1, or in Genesis 2, take um, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 anyway. Uh, we pointed out last time, there is no reference here at the end, and it was evening and it was morning, the seventh day. That doesn't happen. And Jesus seems to indicate in John chapter 5 that that seventh day has continued to exist even up to his very day. So if, even if you're a young earth creationists, this is about 6,000 years that that seventh day has lasted. Okay. Um, but even elsewhere, I think it's in like um, Genesis 2, 4, uh, the word day there is referring back to the previous, the entire creation week. Let me pull that up here, read what it says. Yes, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay, before any plant of the field and so on. We'll talk about this in the future, but even there, right in the context, the day there seems to refer to the previous week. Sort of a summary. The day there is a week, so at least a week. Anyway, context uh, sort of indicates that day, yom, can be understood in different ways. Um, but beyond that, as far as this whole death and gospel thing, look, um, in one of my episodes, it was episode, which one was it? Uh, the one on Genesis 1, 11 and 12, episode number nine. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, listened to that, go back and listen to it. In that episode, I do admit and agree that death did exist prior to sin. And I know that's sort of a big criticism that, Answers in Genesis and Ken Ham, people have of this sort of view. Well, death had to exist before sin, and we know it didn't because of Romans and so on. Well, I address that entire issue in Genesis 1, 11 and 12, and I basically say that even in the literal six-day, 24-hour creation view, you have to have death existing in creation prior to sin. You have to. There's no other way to go around it. No other logical way to account. Now, now, maybe not human death. Again, we will talk about this later when we get into Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and the whole thing about death coming because of sin uh, and what the serpent says to, to Eve. Uh, but I talk about how there at least there had to have been plant death and animal death uh, as part of God's good creation before sin entered the world. Okay, and I don't think that when we understand that, that that causes any harm or damage to the gospel at all. Um, the only thing I'm going to argue when we get there, the only thing that 
changed as far as death goes is that it came to humans. Humans, I believe, were not created to die. And sin, when sin entered the scene, this is what Roman, Paul is talking about in Romans, that death came to all men. That's exactly what he says. It says nothing about other types of death, uh, plant death or animal death. Anyway, uh, that's sort of how I would respond to that. And um, let me just scan through this question here. Uh, oh, he, we, we have an exchange, and he, he goes on to, to say that, um, well, let me just read it. He says, I think Genesis 1 can be read as both literal 24-hour days and a polemic against the other stories, Gilgamesh, Epic, Enuma Elish, so on. Think of it this way. Moses knew the Israelites heard many different stories, so he was saying, let me tell you what really happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, so on. Day one, day two, day three. So it would be similar to what Jesus did when he said, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And by giving them the true interpretation, it not only tells them what happened, but is also a polemic against any other version. Uh, now, I guess I talked with that. That was, that was Kathy's question. But um, he goes in this. Here's, here's some of, sort of a whole list of questions. He says, if it wasn't a literal 24-hour day, then logically the only other option is evolution. Even if you point to theistic evolution, it's still evolution. I suppose there's the day-age theory, but again, why isn't it viewed that way just a few chapters later with Noah? Why is Genesis 1 not 24-hour days, but Noah is? And again, why did it change so that now we have 24-hour days? And again, how would plants have stayed alive for hundreds, thousands, millions of years without the sun? And basically, where I'm coming from is those are all really good questions. I do not deny that such questions exist, and I think that those are excellent, wonderful questions. But what I what I wrote to Michael, and I'll just close with this. Uh First of all, I am a creationist. Um, I do believe God, that everything that exists, God created it. And what I don't believe necessarily is that the Bible tells us a whole lot about how that happened. So accuse me of being a theistic evolutionist, I suppose, if you want to. I do not accept that term. I do not call myself that because I don't like a lot of what evolution teaches and how they teach it. Uh, and I don't think that what we see in evolution fits all the scientific facts. What I want to say, though, and this is what I've tried to say in all the podcasts leading up to this, is that if you want to argue against evolution, the theory Darwinian atheistic evolution, fine. Go ahead. I believe that it can be done. All right. Uh, Darwin's black box and so on. Okay. There's lots of books out there that use science to disprove scientific, the scientific theory of evolution. Okay. Uh, what I are, am arguing is that Genesis 1 isn't science. Okay. It's theology. It's poetry. It's religious polemic, polemical writing. And so to use theology to disprove science, well, all you're going to do uh, no, it's, it's not, it's not credible that the scientists aren't going to accept it as we've seen that they don't, they just sort of mock us because they see the problems uh, in doing that. Of course, they sometimes go the other way and try to use science to disprove evolution, like using science to disprove the existence of God. It can't be done. Okay. It cannot be done. Science is not set up to prove or disprove God. It, it just, it's not, it's not able to do that. Similarly, theological, Theology cannot prove or disprove uh, certain things of science, such as the theory of evolution. So 
Uh, back to his question. Is it possible that Moses was writing both a polemical uh, polemic against the religions and a historical account of how it really happened? You know, you have heard it is said, but I say to yes, of course. And I, I answered that in Kathy's question above. Of course it's possible. So the bottom line really is that if we want to properly understand Genesis 1, we need to understand it as it was intended to be understood, as Moses understood it, and as the people of Israel understood it. Today, with the theory of evolution so prominent in our schools and in the public arena, uh, we come to the Bible with questions about evolution and whether it's really true and how we can disprove it. The thing is, is neither Moses nor the Israelites nor anybody who lived back at that time would have had those sorts of questions, those sorts of issues. And so they would not have been asking those questions. They would not have been looking to Genesis 1 to answer those sorts of questions. We do that because they are our questions and our issues. But when we do that, we are reading stuff into the text that was not actually there, that Moses would not have been intending to teach. And so what we're doing is that interpretation is not the literal interpretation, but is something we're reading into the text. The literal interpretation is to understand it the way Moses wrote it, the way the Israelites would have understood it, and answering their questions and their issues that they had in that day, which were, is our God more powerful than the God of Israel, of uh, Egypt and Canaan and Babylon? Uh, what does he want from us? What does he expect from us? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to worship him? Is he the only God or can we worship other gods also? You know, how did all this, yes, they would have questioned, how did all this stuff get here and what are we supposed to do with it? Okay, those are very theological questions to a degree, and Genesis 1 answers that as well. So that's the questions and answers. Uh, in the next podcast, I've got something a little bit different for you. And then after that, we will pick back up in Genesis 2, verse 4, and uh, look at the second creation account in the book of Genesis. So uh, thank you for all of you who sent in questions. Please, if you have questions for future episodes, do not hesitate to send those in as well. You can send them by email, send them by my contact form on my blog, which is found at redeeminggod.com about. Uh, you can message me on Facebook. That's fine as well. If you subscribe to my email newsletter, uh, all you have to do to reach me by email is to reply to any single one of those emails, and that email will get to me. So again, if you haven't subscribed already, go ahead and do that. It's redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Uh, thank you for listening to all these podcasts. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the questions that you sent in and the questions you're going to send in. I'm looking forward to reading them, reading what you have to say, and responding to you as I'm able. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next week at another episode of the One Verse Podcast. Mm-hmm.